Alright, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I got Dr. J. Pop on this episode. We are going into some heavy and deep stuff today. I'm so excited about this episode. We're going to talk about allyship, racism, and all the stuff that's been going on in the world the last few weeks. Without further ado, here we go. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today for the first time ever is Dr. J-Pop. Say hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. No problem. Um, So I always like to start the show with like super easy questions. So the first easy question is what is the book you're reading or listening to? Oh, the book I'm listening to are the secrets of a millionaire mindset. Nice. I, I feel like I might've read that or something similar. I can't think of what the author's name is off the top of my head. Yeah. But my audible's right here. <laughs> and it's T. Harv Ecker. E-K-E-R. Um, secrets of a millionaire mind. And I, when I first saw the title, I was like, that's so cheesy. Yeah. But one of my friends read it and she was like, you just keep going past the title. And so yeah. far it's really good stuff. Yeah. Like I recently read some book with that millionaire title and someone recommended it to me and they're like, Oh, it's like, just don't worry about the title. And it was a book just <laughs> like based on statistics in the States of who's actually a millionaire and how their life actually looks like. Uh-huh. And yeah. it's like, the average car that every millionaire drives in the States is a Ford F-150, <laughs> right? That's like, right? Because you hear all the basics, like most of them wear t-shirts and jeans. They wear the yeah. same outfit. They don't really care about that stuff. Yeah. Um, but this one, no, this one is pretty good so far. Awesome. Um, so next easy question, what is the current TV series you're watching or movies on Netflix, whatever streaming thing you have? <laughs> So I've started like five different shows, to be honest. <laughs> Thank you, Karana. Um, I am on the Wu-Tang Clan on Hulu with nice. their story. Um, it's so good. It's absolutely amazing. And then I'm watching Fleabag on Amazon Prime, another That's British Fleabag. show. I'm kind of obsessed. I'm obsessed with British shows. Okay. Um, and it's another British show. But it's on, it's on Amazon Prime, um, one of their big... Uh, British actors in there. He was actually Moriarty in Sher- Sherlock. Oh, nice. Um, nice. Yeah, that was a good awesome. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like for me, I started re-watching Lost because I haven't watched it since it like first came out and I like hate myself because I'm like on the fourth season. I'm like, I have nope. to finish it now. <laughs> I have to finish nope. it. Once they brought that polar bear, I was like, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> the polar bear, yeah. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> it just like went all over the place. I was like trying to make like, I think I know what's going on, but no, you don't. <laughs> they were making it up as they went along. I'm convinced. <laughs> yeah. Um, so last easy question. What do you got planned for the weekend? It's Father's Day weekend. Mm-hmm. So probably something at home with my dad, my mom, and my brother and his wife. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So where, where you live, like, how's the COVID situation? Like, are they allowing people to, like, intermingle? Like, what's kind of the spiel? So I'm in Nashville. Um, we were actually one of the places where they protested opening um, sooner. Okay. So we went into phased opening, and there were different 
tiers of like what could open and what, what percentage. And I believe we just moved into phase three. So all of the gyms are open. All of the restaurants are open at 50% capacity, mm-hmm. nail salons by appointment only, um, mask required in different places that are, are strongly required. I should say strongly requested in some yeah. places. They'll put a sign up. The mayor has asked that you wear them. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but unfortunately people are getting pretty lax on the, the mask wearing in, in yeah. public spaces. So I'm interested to see, I've been watching numbers for our department of health um, on Twitter and we're rising, but I, I mean, I think that's just because more people are getting tested. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so let's get this thing going. Cause I feel like we can just yeah. chat about random stuff. Ooh, I could. <laughs> That's how my brain works. So, <laughs> um, so kind of doing a quick intro of who you are, what you do and how did you get into your industry? Yeah. So, um, Jennifer Hutton, as he said, I'm Dr. J pop in the social media spaces. I am a pediatric physical therapist from Nashville, Tennessee. And I got into physical therapy because I'm the youngest of 14 cousins or the oldest of 14 cousins. The youngest uh, was born three months premature and was diagnosed with cerebral palsy when he was two. I went to a lot of his sessions and just decided I wanted to work with kids in that capacity. He was um, a child where the doctor said, oh, just get him a wheelchair. He's never going to walk. And he's like 20 something years old now, a junior in college, walking all over the place. So I really love being able to help kids defy what is expected um, based on their abilities. Nice. There you go. Yeah. Um, So now I'm kind of curious with like your clinic, like what are your kind of protocols for like COVID? Because like with kids, you kind of almost have to like get in there because they're not like adults, you know, you know what I mean? (laughs) So funny story. I actually left my clinic job. Oh, okay. The month before COVID happened. (laughs) Great timing. Um, For the last year, I had been planning starting my own um, independent clinic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so COVID kind of jacked me, I should say. So I did virtual. I did all telehealth during COVID. Um, And I'm just now about to start marketing for in-person treatments. Nice. So parents are ready to be honest with you, like they're like, well, as soon as we can get in, we're ready to go. Yeah. Um, and I think because I'm going to be in a very, an atmosphere where it'll just be me and the family, it's a lot safer. Yeah. Well, it's interesting with like the clinic that I work in and like the moment we open for in-person treatment, like our schedules got filled so fast. Yeah. Like people, like you have your acute patients, but I think mostly people just wanted to interact with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also said, when I was watching the uh, millions of home workouts that people were doing yeah. and watching and on, on Instagram, I was like, people are going to hurt themselves yeah. over this COVID break and they're going to be wanting to get into these providers very quickly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and then correct me if I'm wrong, but you also do some stuff with Rock Tape, like the company. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm an instructor for them. I've been teaching since 2018, actually. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I yeah, love like, it. The tape is like amazing. Like we use it a lot in our clinic, like a lot. Yeah. And then people start requesting to get taped every single time they come in. 
Yes. Uh, so I tell people when I teach the classes, it's all in how you uh, educate them so that they yeah. know this is not forever. Can yeah, I take sure. all of the tapes? <laughs> yes, seriously. But it's an awesome tool to teach them too. Like it's so easy for them to be able to do this stuff at home. So yeah. I think it's awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. So let's get into the next question where like the meat of this episode is kind of get into. So potatoes. Yeah. So essentially with your webinar that you did, is it last week already? Jeez. Um, it was one for me, it was like eye opening and it was like crazy to see how many people were in that chat. Like just, it just kept going. I was like, how many people do you have? Here? <laughs> right. And I was like, one, like being in Canada for us to learn history, it's more so like what our natives did mm-hmm. we don't yes. learn anything about black history or anything like that and i was right. like holy crap like the amount of stuff that you were dropping i was like oh my god i know nothing so <laughs> maybe to start this question because like I, i'm just like breaking stuff up is like why did you feel like you needed to create this webinar do you feel like people are not educated enough like just let's go from there <laughs> yeah um this cultural competency allyship anti-racism um inclusion, diversity, that's all been a part of what I've wanted to create. Um, I joke around and say, Dr. J-Pop's neighborhood should mimic what the world looks like. That's what I really want. And I'd already spoken on these topics with other um, clinicians and said, I really want to build this out and actually help people understand what it should look like, where our roots are, what our history is, because I think that it would give them great perspective um, and then everything happened in the last um, in the last month, and I think the cherries on top were um, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And once I saw the awakening happening in so many people, I was like, and they're ready for it. It's time for you to put it all together so they can see it. So I definitely started with history because I feel like you get a lot of clinics and healthcare settings and gyms who do cultural competency workshops and diversity training. And it's awesome. But if you don't have the foundation of understanding, then it's really not going to be authentic for you. It's great to say I'm a good person. And I think that's awesome. But I think we need more than that right now. We need people that can educate themselves on the root and the why so that they can actually understand what they're looking for in the different systems. So that's why I went back that far, because you're right, I feel like the education has been wiped. Um, I feel like it's been whitewashed and wiped in a lot of different areas. And I think it's our job to go back and really dig deep and see what happened and how we got here. Yeah. And like, I remember in your webinar, like when you first started with the history, like going back all the way from like slavery time to all the way to today, was like super eye-opening and like I would love if you could do like a brief like overview of kind of like how it all started and how it kind mm-hmm. of progressed in different stages and like right. eras, I guess yeah <laughs> right and it's funny because to me watching it is like human behavior I've been having conversations with other people that power is the root of all of it um and and I think she's right in saying that because going back to slavery there, it was believed that this race was inferior. Black people are inferior. They're here to do our work. So I said in the webinar, slaves were an investment. They were there to do work, to be productive, so that our country could be built. Um, and in healthcare, it really didn't matter if you were sick until the productivity was affected. Um, I talked about you know slave owners having a major part in how the slave was treated, if the slave was treated, what kind of treatments they got, um, and it, it definitely started that 
deep-rooted mistrust of a healthcare system that is not built for us. Um, there is always a third party involved. And so you, you fast forward to um, the end of slavery, and as soon as slavery ended, it was like, okay, we need something else to keep them separate because they're still inferior. So then you saw the Jim Crow um, laws or the black codes as they're called also. And it was basically keep everything separate. This was with marriage, with transportation, with education in public spaces, in fitness spaces, in entertainment spaces. There was a whites only and there was a colors only. And that was in healthcare as well. Um, white nurses were not required to treat black men um, that were coming back from the war or had served our country. There was separate wards. A lot of slaves were actually, we talked about this, slaves were researched on and it continued through that Jim Crow era. So the, it became more subtle. Once something became illegal, then we had to figure out how to, the creative ways to construct that divide. So then you come to the civil rights era and it's, hey, we are all integrated and you look at all those hundreds of years behind you and it's like, how could these two races have not developed some type of thought virus with everything that they've seen and everything that has been done over the last hundred years? You can't just integrate a country and say, everything's great. We're all together. Everybody's free, access to everything. Um, and, and I think that's why we're having some of the issues now, because it was just an immediate jump into integration. So now, how do we continue to construct the divide? You're seeing it in the justice system. You're seeing it in the healthcare system. You're seeing it in the housing system, in the healthcare system. And now you're starting to see the legs of this original thought that white people are supposed to be in power. We are the greater race. We are, they are the inferior race. And you're seeing how it is played out in our history. Damn. Okay. <laughs> that was a lot. So now this kind of goes into this next thing that I thought was super interesting when you brought up like racial trauma, how like, it, yeah, it kind of just stays with you. And like, you brought up the whole Holocaust and like, for me, I'm Polish. And uh -huh. I remember going back to Poland for the first time before I left and immigrated to Canada and seeing Auschwitz. And I was like, mm -hmm. Holy crap. like, just the feeling of being there is, it was, I, I can't even like describe it. And like, it's so weird. Cause like, as you're like going in, like by the parking lot, everyone's like chatting, everyone's talking. And then the moment you like step in, it's like dead quiet. And I was Ooh, like, hush. I would love for you to like, just expand on that whole concept of like what racial trauma is and like how it kind of yeah. also connects from like Holocaust survivors and things like that. Yeah, so um, the vocabulary word I gave was racial trauma, yeah. and the definition was cumulative effects of racism on an individual's mental and physical health. Um, and it's usually likened unto PTSD, um, but the difference is, is this is not a traumatic event that you can escape. It is a traumatic event that continues to happen. Um, and the problem is it, it happens in ways that you have to question yourself because it's subtle. Um, it's seeped in, I say creatively woven through everything. So you question yourself continuously um, as you're watching things happen to the people that you love and your coworkers and you're feeling them yourself. And so you cannot escape that toxic environment. And so now you see the, the health effects of it, um, the physical effects, depression, suicidal ideations. And I, I talked about the fact that Blacks, while in America, 
are exposed the most, we're still not the only race that deals with race-based trauma. Indigenous people, Latinx, um, Asian American, all of those people were actually in the Jim Crow laws uh, as well, depending on what area of the country you lived in. Um, so when you look at how it affects us on a larger scale, um, one of the things I talked about was agitation, sensitivity to threat, um, psychological and physiological issues. You've got a lot of people with um, high blood pressure, diabetes, all of these things, thinking about having to deal with this event over and over again. And how do I actually um, deal with it and move forward, even though I know this is going to happen again? So that is the, the balance, the, the thought of racial trauma and the research is trying to say, well, how do we help them? <laughs> and the problem is they're looking at the different ways that you would self-help or, you know, help yourself work through them. You have aff affirmations, you have storytelling, um, you have, I think I talked about external devaluation where you see these killings, you see these tragedies and you cannot attach your value to what you're seeing happen. So just because you're seeing black people being murdered that doesn't mean that you're any less of a person. So those are some of the things that we're looking at with racial trauma. It's heavy. And the Holocaust one, I actually felt that at the Museum of Tolerance in LA. Um, I remember you pick a card and you, uh, you read about the person as a child and then you travel through as that person. Jeez. So you heard transcripts of conversations of them talking about how to kill um, the Jewish people. And it's just, I mean, it's unnerving to hear them talk about them like they're just rats. And then when you get through to the end, you, you find out whether your person escaped, um, whether they died, if they're still living. And it was the same eerie hush that you would hear going through. Um, and, and that's what a lot of the racial trauma research has been done on, just to see how did this affect them then? How does it affect the generations after, um, and did it alter them? Did it alter their DNA? And, and they are finding that that is true in a lot of cases. Yeah, so another interesting thing is like when I went to Poland to go see Auschwitz, like I have an aunt, a great aunt and great uncle that still live there. And when I told them like, hey, I would really want to see it, they were actually almost like angry that I wanted to go. Mm. And it might be because like my great uncle, when he was a child, he was actually captured got mm -hmm. sent to Auschwitz, but he actually escaped, like literally like lived in the woods. Like he's such a badass, but like everyone in Poland, when I told him like I was going to be going there, they were just like, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to go? Like, it's such a hard thing for them. Cause when you go in there, like there's like places where you walk by and they'll have like an accumulation of all the shoes that they have still there. Right. Like, or you'll go and you'll see like lampshades that were made with like their skin. And I'm like, holy yeah. crap, this is crazy. Right. But um, honestly, I don't know where I was going with that. I just wanted to, <laughs> I mean, but that shows you even now there was a physiological response yeah. to you even wanting to be in that place. Yeah. Uh, and our body is designed to keep us safe. And it remembers, it remembers pain. It remembers trauma, whether you were in it or whether you were watching it. And so that's why I really talk about the idea of thought viruses when we're trying to actually move forward we have to work on the ones in each of us that all of the effects that have happened um, so that we can understand how to move forward. Yeah. And it was interesting is like, even with George Floyd's death, like I have a good friend that 
she's a black. And like when that happened, I've never seen her in so much pain in my entire life. And it was like, at that moment, like, holy crap, this is like really heavy on you. And like, I was trying to figure it out as like, you know, for her, like that's going to stick with her forever. Whereas like everyone else, it's like, they'll watch that video after an hour, they're not feeling terrible anymore. They kind of just move on with their life and like, Oh, what are we going to cook for dinner today? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's heavy. Like it's t- I can't Ooh. imagine. I I didn't watch the video of George Floyd, and it was because I watched Ahmaud Arbery gotcha. and physically lost it for the day I was done. And it was because we've seen this so many times, but when we see it, we see ourselves. No, they're not us, but they identify as we do. And so I saw my brother who loves to go running in different neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. I saw my dad who loves to take my nephew out on walks. So I see them in those incidences and it it is going through the five stages of, of depression, anger, bargaining, and you know, all of those um, with each of these events. Yeah. hundred percent. The next thing I kind of want to get into is kind of like, allyship because i think a couple of years ago i started watching dear white people which is like an awesome show <laughs> i love it um but like they brought up the concept of like white saverism and mm-hmm. like a lot of like people when they see something like this their automatic response is like oh i want to help you i want to do as much as possible but then they kind of like take it so far that they're not actually helping they're actually making things worse so yeah. i'd love for you like your take on all that um so what I, I think I talked about it in the webinar, there are, there are people who with great intentions. And I think if, even though their intentions are great, if they don't go through the stages that I've talked about um, as they should, then it comes out looking like white saviorism, um, where you're actually seeing yourself still as the superior, the one who can help, the one who can can further this movement or tokenism where they just go out and get a black person and bring them into their space to make themselves feel satisfied, but not considering how that person of color feels in that space. Um, so that was, I gave those vocab words before we actually went through the stages. Cause I wanted you to see like, this is what it can look like if you don't go through them. So um, I remember talking about the different stages, awakening, education, self-interrogation and action. And I think that order is extremely important because once you see that something is wrong, but you don't know everything that you should about it, um, I think you need to educate yourself. I think you need to go and listen to black voices, to, to people of color and see what their experiences are in this country. So you can get an idea of, okay, there really are different Americas for different people and to read the history, um, to just go to people who have been doing this work already and truly educate yourself because then you can ask yourself those questions. Like, how have I operated in the past? What were my thought processes when I thought of Black Lives Matter? When I saw these protests back in 2012 with Trayvon Martin, what was I thinking or did I even care? How was I raised? What were my parents teaching me? Um, My friends, my circle, what does it look like? Because then you can take stock based off your education. Now you can process it through your window of this is how my life has been. And then you can truly be authentic in the path you want to take. Um, Because what I've seen is 
everybody's ready to just do something <laughs> like, yeah. oh, let's do this and let's donate and let's protest. And I have to read these books and I ordered 50 from Amazon and I'm just, I have to do this. I'm like, you're going to burn yourself out when you realize there's still so much to learn. And this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So that was, those were the stages I wanted to make very clear so that people understood when you take action, it can be authentic if you've done the work first. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, like, especially now with social media being so, like, available, they kind of just jump on the trends. And, like, with COVID, it doesn't really help because it's like, what, do you, what else are you doing at home? Like, you're scrolling through, like, oh, I got to do something. <laughs> like, it was like people just jumped on. And I'm kind of curious to see how long, because, like, people are still talking about it. Because, like, comparing this whole situation to, like, the Trayvon Martin case, like, I feel like mm-hmm. you know, after, like, 36 hours, it kind of just died down. Whereas this is, like, it's been weeks maybe yeah. even over a month now, like, it's pretty interesting to see, like, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but now I'm kind of thinking, like, um, in your opinion, do you feel like these riots are actually a good thing because it's exposing more people to what's actually going on, even though there are, like, you know, some people that are destroying things, whatever, but mm-hmm. now it's kind of, like, shaking the earth to be like, hey, wake up. Mm-hmm. I think COVID shook the earth Yeah. for us. I think COVID sat us down, took us out of the rat race, made us actually sit with our thoughts and how we really felt about our lives and actually start processing some things so that we were awake when, when Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and all of the other hashtags been since then happened. So then you actually, from a true space, could say, this is not okay. And you're right, this has happened, but you were so busy with your life before. It was hard to focus on something that did not affect you. And we get that. It, it is, to me, it's the rat race of how we have designed our culture to always be moving, always be doing. So I think COVID helped us out and, and, and said, sit, listen, so you're ready to act. And I, I look at the protests and I know that from my perspective, I love them because there is nothing in history that has happened without there being an uprising first. There's nothing effective, and I mean effective change. I'm not talking about the little laws and bills. I'm talking about the big changes. Did not happen unless there were people who were sitting at the front of the bus or sitting at the whites-only counter or refusing to to move from a whites-only space. Those were considered protests back then. And there were people who said, the law says you can't be here, if you think about it. The law says you have your own section. So there were people protesting the protests then, but we needed to get to the civil rights era. Well, now we're looking at, okay, this is everywhere. It is seeped into everything. And so when you're looking at this protest, you're seeing black people fed up in a whole lot of different spaces. And when you have that many people, you have to acknowledge that even their experiences are different. Mine is still different from the next black person. So what they've experienced might make them a little more angry than I am right now. And the worst thing to do in in those stages of, you know, going through grief is tell someone you can only be angry this way. I understand looting is not great, but you also have to consider why do those people feel like this is the only opportunity for them to actually get things that they need. Mm -hmm. When you consider that, then you're saying the system's still broken. I'm not saying it's not against the law, But it's still broken in some capacity when somebody has to take this moment, this opportunity to actually steal things that they want or steal things that they even need if it's food. So I think even those things that make us uncomfortable have something to tell us. You just have to strip yourself of your own lens 
to sit with it and ask the questions why. That's really good. Because like when I went to the protest here in Vancouver, I was like really curious to see how it was going to happen. But like, you know, being in Canada, everyone's super nice all the time. Like (laughs) it was the only protest I think I've been to where it's like, everyone was socially distanced. Like I could literally like bring out my arms and not touch anyone, even though all the pictures looked like there were so many people there <laughs> and like parents brought their little kids. They mm-hmm. had little sides. It was super cute. And like, all it was was they had a bunch of different speakers that were just sharing their stories of racism. Yeah. Like, and then after, I don't know, it was like three hours, everyone just went home. Like I was like, this is great. Like, but I don't know, like, I feel even looking at all the people there, there wasn't a lot of like, older people like I don't think anyone that was there was like past 40 for example Mm -hmm. so I'm always kind of curious like if it's like a generational thing too like you know they were brought up like kind of just stick within your own Mm -hmm. realm of what what you know and don't like kind of pay attention to what else is going on but like who was it I think it was a couple maybe several years ago it was like the owner of the LA Lakers he said something racist on a phone call or something oh Clippers yeah and yeah. he was like, I don't know, like in his 80s. And I'm like, it's probably because he was brought up that way. And he just thought it wasn't even like anything. And yeah, like I think it's sometimes like a generational thing. Because like when you hear older people talk about this whole situation, it's like borderline. I'm like, that's pretty racist. <laughs> like, But I'm like, they're like set in their ways. I'm like, how do you change someone like that to kind of finally yeah. understand? Whereas someone younger, they kind of want everyone to feel included mm-hmm. and equal and everything like that. So Hopefully, I don't know, in 30 years, things will be a little bit better, but... I know. I think, and I told the story on the webcast about someone who I went to get him for treatment, and he was probably in his 80s, mm-hmm. and I told him I was going to do therapy, and he said, you can't do therapy on me because you're Black, and Black people can't do therapy on white people, and in my head, I said to myself, in his era, he would be right. Yeah. <laughs> it would illegal for me to do these things which is why i say what you have seen what you've been exposed to seeing a whites only and colors only sign everywhere you go you can't help but form an opinion and keep that thought virus with you um so i think yeah it it it, they have to be appealed to on a completely different level and i don't always think that the younger generation understands or has the tools to communicate with them to, to help them. So, so I think that to me would be helpful for this generation to actually have them merge with other generations, that intergenerational um, movement so that they can see their perspective and learn how to communicate with that age group. No, hundred percent. Now the next thing I kind of want to get into is like the healthcare space and like the gym space, like what can coaches and practitioners do to kind of one, make a community in their clinic or gym feel equal, like making sure that they feel, you know, welcomed and everything like that. Cause like sometimes like even I, cause we have in our gym and clinic, we have so many different types of like races. And like when this mm-hmm. happened, I was like, Holy crap, am I doing enough to like make sure everyone's like feeling okay? <laughs> like, yeah. That's, I mean, that's awesome. I think that, that those are the questions that I would rather hear um, yeah. for you to say, am I doing enough? to make them feel comfortable in this space. That means that you, you recognize that you have a diverse group and that's yeah. usually better than most can say. <laughs> most can't say, I mean, yeah, we've got a really, diverse, there's not too many gyms that say that. Um, so some of the things I definitely say, first, still ask yourself the questions. It's just now ask yourself as a movement professional, 
take yourself. I mean, you, you do the personal work, but you also do the professional work. So how do you leverage your white privilege in the professional space, not just in your setting, but across like right now on, on your podcast, like the question of what does what are my past interviews and guests look like? Um, have I invited different perspectives into this conversation? Whose voices are missing? Um, and why do I not feel compelled? Is it because it's just easier in this space for me to say, well, these are the people that I know. Um, is it more uncomfortable for you to go into spaces that, that you're not a part of um, in order to invite different voices in? Um, what are your beliefs about body types? Uh, have you been exposed to a lot of different body types to understand how they move? Uh, can you pick up on nonverbal communication when someone in that space is uncomfortable? If there are conversations that are happening in your gym that are triggering, that's when you can actually say, okay, I've done the personal work. Here's the pro professional um, examination questions I can give myself. Um, and then when you're actually looking at the setting, the staff, how diverse is it? Do you have policies and procedures for racial issues? Um, who shows up and signs up and stays? And if they leave, why do they usually say that they are leaving? What does your community outside of your setting look like? Because if you are a predominantly white gym and you're in a predominantly white community, then it's expected that your gym has the makeup that it does. Don't go just get black people and bring them <laughs> into the space. That's, that's, not, that's not going to be helpful for the black person and it's not gonna be helpful for you. But if you maybe went into their spaces as you know, an actual just I'm I'm just coming through matriculating as a as a stand standing by just so I can see what's going on, inviting instructors to collaborate with you, bringing different gyms together. Um, I, I think that would be extremely helpful for both sides. Um, not assuming that you have to lower your prices for people of color for Black people. Mm -hmm. The assumption is like, oh well, we have scholarships and we have community pricing, and it's like, well then you're saying that they're poor and, and they can't afford these, these luxuries um, or your membership fees. And it's like, well, maybe they can, but they don't want to be in your space. So those are the, those are the, the ways that you can actually zone in to me on your settings and ask those questions um, and action steps you can take. 100%. A um, couple other things I wanted to bring up yeah. is like, I think a lot of people don't really understand what white privilege is or when people go on social media and say things like all lives matter. Cause I just think they're kind of missing the point. Like they don't really get it. So like, it would be awesome if you could shed some light on that. So on the white privilege part or on our, our both all lives matter. Let's do both. Let's do both. <laughs> um, so first of all, white privilege just means that your color affords you, um, luxuries that others don't and it could just be basic human rights um, in some cases but knowing that your color is something that gets you farther than someone else because the system was actually built for you so that's what i mean using your white privilege is saying okay are you recognizing that privilege and then using your privilege to help open the doors for other people or bring other people into that conversation um, the the negative response that you'll usually get to it to me comes from an ego of yeah I'm white but I have struggle yes but let's just recognize that the system still views you differently than it views me and so it's going to afford you things it doesn't mean and and it's not you 
yourself. It is just your what you represent. Um, so I usually encourage people, you have to look past yourself when you do this work because you will get, you'll offend yourself with some of these answers <laughs> that you give. Um, so you have to be able to just strip yourself of ego to see what's really there um, so that you can get past it and actually do the work. Um, and then the All Lives Matter debate, um, it was funny. I was listening to a pastor's snippet and he basically said, all lives matter, matter people would have said to Jesus when he said, blessed are the poor. He's like, no, blessed are all people. And I, <laughs> I, I cracked up because I was like, first of all, that's hilarious. Second of all, it's true because you're, you're still not recognizing that there, there's some disparities that are going on. There's a group that's actually hurting right now, not just angry. Physically, we are hurting from the things that we are seeing and experiencing. And you're saying, nope, it's cool. Like everything's good. We're all equal. We're not like that. You have to wipe that from your head. So I, the all lives matter people, I don't tend to approach because that tells me they're not ready now mm -hmm. that they won't be willing at the moment. They're just not ready to do the work. Um, and then I hope that something plants the seed that gets them there. Yeah. Like I loved seeing like all those like memes and like videos of like explaining that like at such a like dumb level like i think it was like a tiktok that my wife showed me it was like a guy having a conversation with himself and he's like oh where are you going he's like oh our neighbor's shit is broken i'm gonna go help him fix it he's like but what about my shit he's like well, yours is not broken and he's like but it matters he's like but theirs is broken right now let's go <laughs> like i was like there you have it. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. Being able to find the scenario that fits the person so that they go, ah, that yeah. makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. That's important. <laughs> awesome. Um, maybe the last question is what are some resources that people can like help educate themselves to kind of, kind of get started today if they had like, you know, the whole weekend off and they're just going to like watch stuff or read stuff or read something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Book-wise, I think everybody's heard the, the main ones that are out there, like White Fragility, The New Jim Crow, um, but the ones that I gave in the webcast were Medical Apartheid, I have to remember, it's Harriet Washington, um, The Power to Heal by David Barton Smith, and that goes through healthcare from slavery to civil rights to now also, um, and Killing the Black Body is by Dorothy Roberts. So those are some more health-focused um, books that you can use. Uh, another one that I love is The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. Anything James Baldwin, Angela Davis, go listen to it. The talks are on, the speeches and their talks and interviews are all on YouTube. I feel like their minds were brilliant and ahead of their time. And we're seeing what they were saying back then. And I think it's just awesome to just get that perspective. Um, and then a TED Talk that's great is Let's Get to the Root of Racial Injustice. Um, that's by Megan Ming Francis. Um, so those are the resources that I would give right now. Okay. What do you think about oh. that um, documentary on Netflix? I think it's oh, like 13. 13. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's a must. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that sets the stage for you to see not only what goes on in our political injustice system, but oh, this could be everywhere. Um, yeah. So I think I, I suggested it to somebody first because like, I can't read books. I, I need something quick to just yeah. open my eyes. She watched that and that night she's like, I'm just, I'm blown away by it. Yeah. And I think Ava DuVernay did an amazing job of wrapping everything up into that documentary. 
You know, what's crazy is like when you look at when it was released, it was like 2016 or something like that. And only now it's like blown up. Like I was like, wow. Well, we knew about it. We <laughs> yeah. can watch it for sure. <laughs> the black people was like, yes, this right here. So yeah. when everybody came out, I was like, yes, you need to watch 13. Yeah. Four years behind, but you need to watch 13. For sure. <laughs> Awesome. So I think that is all the time we got for today. But if you had to have some like parting words for the audience, what would it be? It is a marathon, not a sprint. And your voice is needed. So even when you get overwhelmed, if it feels like it's too much and you keep seeing hashtags because you will, you keep seeing incidences, you have to find that piece in yourself that says, I still believe this is wrong and I want to help fight. Awesome. And maybe one more question. If people wanted to find out more about you and what you do, you know, drop all your handles, promote whatever you want to promote. Here we go. (laughs) So um, on social media, on Instagram, I'm dr.jpop. Twitter, drjpop, no period. Um, Facebook, drjpop. My uh, website is www.drjpop.com. And I am actually considering... Creating a space for allies who want to continue doing the work. Um, I recognize accountability is something that a lot of people are looking for. um, And I actually enjoy doing some of the educating. So, um, so look out for that. Yeah. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Thank you. Awesome.